In this edition of Bootsology, we have the privilege of doing a deep dive on the iconic video game, NBA Street Volume 2 with The Ringer's J. Kyle Mann. About a couple of months ago, J. Kyle Mann put together a complete history of probably one of the greatest basketball games ever created, NBA Street Volume 2. This was an awesome chat. Um, and we really went into not only just the history of NBA Street Volume 2, but just kind of basketball video games in total. So this was a great chat. Um, get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, the ringers, Jay Kyle Mann. You might have seen many of his videos on YouTube, um, on the Ringer YouTube video channel, breaking down a variety of NBA topics. And he recently narrated and completed a deep dive into one of the most beloved video games, um, sports video games, NBA Street Volume 2. We welcome Jay Kyle Mann onto Hoopsology. How's it going? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. And I got to admit, when seeing this um, video by NBA Street Volume 2 and seeing it was a 45-minute deep dive, I was like, oh, my goodness, it's Christmas here early because <laughs> that game had just a huge just effect on me, just uh, playing it with uh, my friend Kurt over at his house. Um, it, it's just such a underrated, really, basketball video game that's not really talked about nowadays. So I just want to ask you, how did you just, you know, come about this topic and creating such this deep dive because it's a game that's you know kind of lost in time a little bit you know in terms of basketball games usually it's nba live or the 2k series but nba street volume 2 i mean it's it's right up there as one of the greatest you know sports video games ever so uh, what was kind of the creative process in creating this video uh i actually remember the moment i decided to do it uh this took me this is the longest thing i ever worked on it took me about I mean, probably two and a half years. I, I think I started, oh gosh. I mean, it was pre-pandemic. It was a long, long time ago. Um, I remember the moment that I decided to, though. I was playing pickup outdoors with some of my friends. And something happened uh, where one of my friends lost control of, the, of his dribble for a second and ended up on the ground. But he did it so seamlessly that he got, got back up and kept his dribble. And we were all kind of talking after it happened and they were like, uh, they were like, what's that move called? Like this conversation broke out. They were like, it has a name. And somebody got, somebody said, that's a slip and slide. And I, and I remember <laughs> being like, uh, I remember being like, God, that's from NBA street. I was like, that is insane. And it just kind of got me thinking about like, uh, you know, we're out, you know, you guys both said you're from random parts of the country too. I mean, I'm not from a New York or an LA or anything like that. I mean, we're, we're out here, like we're fairly rural. So I was, I, it just kind of dawned on me in that moment where I was like, man, the reach of that game, like the, on the vernacular, I was like, that's crazy. There's something there. So I just kind of started reading about it and researching it. And I mean, I adored that game, just absolutely adored it. And I know you were talking about playing it when you were younger. Um, it really was, for me, growing up where I grew up, I mean, I didn't really have many cultural liaisons to areas of pop culture like hip hop, like, um, uh, you know, and, and, and like classic jazz, things like that. Or in back pre YouTube, you know, with NBA legends and things like that, the access to it was a little more limited. So to have something kind of come into my life like NBA Street 2, um, it was basically like a culture bomb, basically for me, is what I always tell people. Um, 
it, it exposed me to a bunch of things condensed. I called it a cultural Rosetta Stone uh, that it really, really took a snapshot of like a very specific moment in time. Um, and I just found that really, really fascinating. And I was just like, I, I was endless. I, you know, I'm really interested in going maybe too deep sometimes. Uh, you know, I, my bosses will sometimes be like, you're, this is, or I've had experiences where I've done videos about subjects that were maybe a little niche. Um, I worried at times I was doing that with this, but luckily I've had a lot of like-minded people like, like you guys uh, say that they enjoyed it too. Um, so on that level, it was rewarding for me to like research it, uh, the depth of it, but that's how it came about. Was there anything surprising that came about making the video that you didn't expect in terms of the interviews that you conducted? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the most surprising parts about it was just the collection of people um, there was a sort of interesting creative uh, deference going on where uh, you had these guys from Canada. You know, there were there was sort of this thing going around that it was only hockey people on staff. There were like two or three hardcore hoop heads on the staff, but it was mostly people in Vancouver. Uh, and, and through this, like researching this, I got to see some commentary on like the early kind of development of basketball in Canada. Um, which was also infinitely interesting. Um, just reading about David Stern going to Vancouver when the Grizzlies booted up and he said, this is the youngest crowd ever at an NBA game. And it just got me thinking about like, that was interesting that there were these Canadians who were, didn't really have exposure to that culture, but they brought in these people who were all about that culture, were the experts, you know, the Jimmy Smiths, uh, the guy who was at Nike and did all those ads. And then, you know, to by way of him, they found Bobito. Uh, Bobito Garcia. And uh, that was surprising. I mean, Just Blaze had a ton of stories about like the leading up to. Um, yeah, uh, th there, there were a lot of stories that I ended up having to cut because I mean, 45 is already pretty long for a YouTube video. I probably could have got it. There's a lot more there if somebody wanted to do something about EA Sports in general, I think. Uh, but I definitely had to like pull the reins back because there was so much. Uh, yeah. The Jimmy Smith section was fascinating because I had no idea about how much influence this guy not only had on the game, but his NBA culture overall, just all the commercials he filmed. So creative, too. Um, this might be kind of a foolish question, but is, is he still active in terms of creating like, you know, NBA content or basketball content in general? Has he done any recent works at all? Because he's such a huge influence. Yeah, he was he worked for Wyden Kennedy, which, you know, famously is the Nike agency, um, which the, the funny part about this is sort of this project was kind of an intersection of personal interest for me because I'm a musician and I worked in advertising for a while. And my dream growing up was like if I wasn't going to be in the NBA, I was like, which, you know, didn't happen. I'm six one and slow and I can't jump, but I can shoot, though. But uh, <laughs> no, but I thought I would, you know, work on Nike ads because they always just kind of inspired me and appealed to me. I thought they were great. And come to find out, you know, to, it was really cool to pick his brain and to keep finding out things that he worked on. I was just like, are you serious? Like, I didn't realize that he had made the Roswell Ray Guns thing, which I don't know if you all are familiar with that. It was like a it was a fictitious ABA team. Mm. Uh, that, that he created for this commercial that like Vince Carter and, you know, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, all those guys were on it. Um, it's pretty funny, but like uh, an anecdote on that is, and you should check this out if you haven't ever, uh, he made up this fictional team and he said he went to Nike and was like, you guys should make jerseys for this team that we made <laughs> up for this and sell them. And they were resistant to it apparently. 
and they finally did. And it sold out literally 20 years later. They're still selling Roswell Ray gun stuff to this day. Wow. Uh, I bought a T-shirt. So he's a visionary on that front. I think he he left Wyden Kennedy at some point to go uh, work on his own thing now uh, called Amusement Park. Um, but he also created the Gatorade the G campaign. I don't know if you oh, guys wow. have ever seen that. Um, yeah. Uh, he did that. Uh, yeah, he's still active. He's he's doing, I think he did something for, um, he's real big on branded content. He did something for Harlem Globetrotters not too long ago. Uh, but the dude's a legend. I mean, just to listen to him talk. And you can see why he's been so successful. He's just yeah. charming guy uh, and and brilliant, you know, really smart guy. I was wondering if if you could take us kind of you you mentioned the cultural impact of this game. Uh, we have had um, guests on who have written about like NBA Jam uh, and and things like that. You know, with um, I, I I guess I was probably like five or six when NBA Jam came out, uh, so I wasn't really you know allowed to go to the arcade at that time. Uh, so for me, NBA Street. Uh, volume one initially was was huge because I did have a PS2 at the time. I, I got to experience it that way. Is NBA Street kind of a, a cultural re-experience for gamers of like an NBA Jam with the similarities between those games? Or, or how would you kind of differentiate them? So you guys are big on that intersection. I was curious if you had kind of like stepped away from what you normally do. So you guys are like big video game fans. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm like hardcore gamer, but yeah, I love video games. I think Justin's the same way. Oh, okay. yeah, well, for sure. Just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, it is an odd intersection. I, I was curious to comment on that with you guys, too, because with my normal audience, I think we're a little bit like, oh, really? What is this? But there's a gaming <laughs> audience that was definitely uh, that, that has interacted with me that's different than my normal kind of basketball audience but mm. um in terms of similarities i mean yeah nba jam um it's opened a door I, you know they started to do this sort of hyperbolic you know exaggerated animations and things like that a bunch of different games took from that and borrowed from that and i think once a really it's hard to come back from uh, a game like that and not be influenced by it. It's kind of like every indie band after oh, yeah. like 1997 has some Radiohead in them. You know, it's just inevitable. <laughs> it's going to happen. Good uh, analogy. <laughs> and and I think that's uh, yeah, uh, I've experienced some of that firsthand. But you know, <laughs> you were talking about not being old enough. I think I had that. I, I had NBA Jam for Genesis, but I remember specifically there was a shoe carnival. Do you all have shoe carnivals where you're from? Have you ever heard of that? It's like a, just a shoe store. I mean, there, oh, was gotcha. an, yeah. there was an NBA jam in the back of it. I was like, that's something that is kind of lost on today's in, uh, generation. Yeah. I hate to like, you know, tap my cane on the floor and rant for a second, but I mean, <laughs> we're uh, with you. <laughs> right. You know, there, there's, there's something kind of magical about it, you know, like ha having yeah. a console was, was fun, but there was something about like, I knew that cabinet was at that store and it was at the back and I'd sneak back there and, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I, I have fond memories of that, but I think, yeah, you know, Barkley shut up and jam has some of that, has some of that in it, like the jumping through <laughs> to the ceiling kind of yeah. thing. Will Moselle told me uh, the guy who was one of the big producers on all the NBA live games, all the early ones, he was telling me that, uh, in NBA Live 2000, I don't know if you guys ever played that one. I played that one just absolutely religiously nonstop. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. had an arcade mode on it, which was five on five. Yeah, but you 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 you're nodding like you know it's it, uh, it was fun. But he said that that was 
that was sort of a thing that opened the door in his mind to like, Hey, maybe we, you know, we keep going with this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the original NBA street felt a little bit more like a sort of repurposed send up of that game. I think mm. things really, really shifted when they added that, um, you know, style points element to it, you know, when they really, really invested on uh, that part of it, but then enlisting the sort of cultural texture uh, to bring it in, it just kind of took it to another place. And and obviously the way that it came together uh, was special. I mean, there's a lot of games that have tempted to do things. You know, I think Tony Hawk was pretty successful at that too. I agree. That's really, really stating it mildly, but um <laughs> yeah, I think the cultural snapshot just was like perfect. It was just somebody described it as struck by lightning, you know, like it just doesn't normally happen. And, and it did with this one. Yeah, it kind of felt like it It just, um, I, I guess, like broadened your options as far as how you could play the game, you know, because NBA Jam is so fast paced and, uh, you know, the the game will get more or less difficult depending on how you're lead expands or decreases, you know, kind of encourage you to keep going. Whereas in street, you know, you could spend all kinds of time doing, doing tricks as well. Uh, but it is still like coherent basketball. Um, did you, um, for, for your video, did you have kind of like a evolution in, into getting to this point where NBA street volume two came around? Uh, like an idea of like how g the games before it led to it or mm -hmm. what, what are you, is that what you mean? Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of had to uncover some of that. I had like a loose idea in my mind. Um, I honestly didn't know a ton about the original. I had to kind of get it, pull it out and play it a little more uh, because I remember playing two at a friend's house. I think his younger brother was playing it or something. And I remember seeing that like rooftop court and like Magic Johnson yeah. doing like dribble moves and stuff. And I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, because <laughs> I've always been a, a historian and historian um, and into that kind of thing. And uh, it, it blew me away. But I mean, yeah, if you go through and in the like the first section of the video, I kind of go through it a little bit. Try I wanted to go way deeper with that. But a little trick to YouTube that I think if you do it long enough, you start to figure out is that like the intro needs to kind of be snappy if possible. That's an area yeah. where you really, really got to make it snappy because people, you can see people just jump off. They're like, if, if I'm not in within a few seconds, I'm out kind of a thing. So, I mean, but yeah, early on, I mean, a lot of it was limited by the technology. Like they couldn't, they literally just couldn't have five moving independent pieces on the screen at the same time. Uh, you started to get five on five with like some of those like double dribble, like I uh, talked about. Uh, and then, uh, you know, EA kind of jumped in. They really re-released the same game like six times. It's pretty genius that they did this. I mean, it was like Bulls Blazers. <laughs> yeah, Lakers Bulls. Uh, the dream team game, which is seriously, it's just new skins and that, you know, they made good on them. I mean, it was smart, but they made a lot of money off of that. Uh, those games are infuriating to play to me today. Like I, I don't enjoy them, <laughs> but um, you know, and then you move into simulation um, from what I was told uh, the Bruce McMillan, the guy who was like the VP of EA Canada, he told me that NBA live was so successful that it like, force people out of the market they were just like this is this behemoth is not mm. going to be you know <laughs> we can't compete with it um so yeah from there i mean i, th I think uh they just kind of ruled the roost for several years until you know i, I don't know if you all remember when the first 2k games came out but they were pretty eye-opening and for i sure. think it yeah 
I think it inspired them to kind of step their game up. Just Blaze talked about that a little bit um, in in some of the interview thing that uh, one of the one of the ways that they were going to do that uh, was by enlisting all these kind of cultural touchstones, and Just Blaze was one of them. Jimmy Smith was one of them. Um, and those things carried on, you know, beyond EBA Street. If you played any of those games around the time, um, they really went in on those kinds of things, on, on the hip hop and things. And it, it just exploded from there to where we are now. I mean, it's 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 so crazy where we are now. But yeah, um, I want to ask you about the soundtrack because right when you boot up the game, you hear the Pete Rock and CL smooth track, and it just it's just I don't know. There's not there's not any other video game, and I love the 2K series. But there's there's not any other basketball game that when you play it just transports you. You feel like you're in Rucker Park immediately. And I'm just wondering what just talking to just Blaze, what was his kind of process into narrowing those tracks? Because there's you know hundreds and thousands of tracks to pick from and all have the same kind of feel. So what was kind of his, you know, process and kind of narrowing down for this video game? There were a lot of things kind of working together for that. Um the the track selection itself, um was kind of the icing on the cake that really made it transcend into this magical thing. Um, and but the two guys um, that were responsible for it were the Adam Myhill, who was the uh, the three. You know, the, he sort of was a pioneer in like digital cinematography technology. Dude's like a genius. It's, it's funny just talking to a bunch of these guys that they're just obviously all so brilliant. Um, that was really fun for me personally, like gratifying just to hear their processes and stuff. But uh, and then Kirk, Kirk Gibbons was the other guy, the artist. Um, and, and I think part of that was responsible be, or that came to be because you had people. It's sort of akin to um, when someone who doesn't play the piano sits down at the piano, they might do something unexpected. I'm, I'm always big on the music metaphors, but, you know, it's whenever you put someone in a position like Jimmy wasn't a game person. So his eyes were very fresh. So you had all these kind of things that were normal for video games. And like Kirk and Adam talked about it, that uh, they had this idea for like when the disc goes in, like you were describing, you like something happens like immediately. Like you, it's not a normal, you're, you're like obviously immersed. It's like going down a pipe on into, you know, you're like in this ride now. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, the, the aesthetic and things like that, they really wanted it to like be paced in terms of color. So when it came in, it was kind of cool colors and you were moving through this kind of city landscape. And they, you know, they said Blue Note record covers were an inspiration for that. But then once you got to that title screen, uh, they reminisce over you, starts playing and uh, it's just perfect. I mean, that song has a kind of like a haunting, nostalgic quality as it is. I listened to it 87 million times during the making of this video. I wanted to have it be in the video, but I, I couldn't pay to clear it. I wish, wish we could have done that, but you know, maybe, maybe in the future, if we release it as a documentary, I don't know, but uh, I'm just bullshitting now. But uh, in terms of like picking the, the song blaze said that they like sat around with a guy, Steve Schnur, who is like the director of music globally for EA still is now. Um, and they just kind of carefully just went through picking what it is and i touched on some of this in the video that the classic songs that they picked really and i didn't really notice this until the end um they did the same thing that the visual thing the visual elements did and that they borrowed from jazz from the 70s and things and if you listen to the, the literal samples from the songs are jazz samples so i think that that kind of is maybe just like a thing that's going on it's like a background process that you don't really notice 
but um i think that was huge i mean that that song was just and if you ask some, anybody about that game uh that song just really uh sums it up and embodies it perfectly uh, in my opinion so I want to ask, just looking at the, the end of the video in terms of will there ever be a sequel to NBA, you know, you know, NBA Street. I love this part, four. by the way. I love this part. But yeah, I was wondering why NBA 2K or EA just hasn't like incorporate this idea overall. Like it just, it, it, the game was successful. So I don't, it's weird with 2K. They have like a blacktop mode, but it's not the same. And I'm just wondering I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet because it seemed like NBA 2K has delved in everything but this, and it was so successful. Um, has there been any reason why these guys have not been reached out by like a 2K games being like, hey, we want kind of this, the spiritual successor to NBA Street in our game now? Like, why hasn't we haven't seen it materialize, not maybe in a direct sequel, but maybe even in an existing property that's out there? I would think a remaster would be most likely. Uh, because even the produce, one of the main producers of the game told me, uh, you know, after I released it, he was like, I feel like a remaster would work the best because he was like, even we tried to recapture the magic with three volume three and NBA street home court. Um, and he said, it just wasn't quite right. And if you talk to, it is kind of unusual for a franchise that that's, old, that's that old for one iteration to be, you know, to stick out like that, you know, I guess, mm. you know, there are versions of Mortal Kombat that people like a lot. There are versions. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but in sports specifically, it's interesting. Um, but I think there are a lot of things going on there. Um, some that I've, I'm able to talk about. Some that like not like I know any secrets or anything. But it's like I think they're just maybe it's it's a it's a person to person business. So they're like I'm sure are political reasons. I mean, EA Big ended uh, in a weird way to begin with. Um, mm. So. Think there's some of that there's also the nba licensing issue which is very expensive today um and then uh i mean i i think that the remaster seems the most likely from from what i understand and there are actually people online who have done hacks and like updated the rosters i don't know if you guys have seen this i'm big on emulators so i, I download yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, you can get you can get it if you want i mean it's out there i'm not condoning this i pay for it i didn't feel bad because i've bought the game like five different times so i, I don't feel <laughs> bad i'm like I, you, you emulator, I don't feel bad but um that like i was saying to you as you were asking me um sorry lost my earbuds um that was my favorite part of the project because I didn't really, you know, you, you get so like zeroed in on interviewing people that you, your your focus is on your questions and kind of making the most, being efficient with your time with this person. Um, that I didn't notice some things when I was interviewing them, like just Blaze. When I went back and interviewed, I was editing the footage. Like a, it was, a, it took me like a year to get to it because I have I have a regular job, so I was like coming back and watching it and i 100 percent never noticed that he winked at me when i asked him about that so that i was just like <laughs> wait a Easter minute here. Right. yeah and then <laughs> and then thomas singleton the guy who was a producer when i asked him about it his body language i'm not saying he was lying but he had a smile where he was like i know of nothing and then when i was re-watching it i was just like he knows something. They, and, and I've heard that there is a next-gen basket. I've had somebody who was associated with EA tell me that there 100% is a next-gen basketball thing going on with EA. 
uh, whether or not that's NBA Street or not, I don't know. But um, I know Bobito is involved in a VR uh, Street basketball thing uh, right now. Uh, so I don't know if he would be involved with the new game, but it, a remaster seems the most likely to me. But we'll see. It, it doesn't it seem like something you could just buy for ten bucks on PSN or something like. Mm-hmm. It, it, but the another thing about it is like online wasn't included in the original. So you, can you imagine playing that game online today? It would be it'd be fun, uh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is there part of you that would also worry maybe about a remaster like ruining? Uh, any sort of legacy from the original. I mean, like I, I think of, and I'm not a Warcraft player, so you can get at me in the comments if I'm totally wrong about this, but I, I did hear that there was like a remaster of Warcraft 3. And again, I, I don't have the personal experience, so I'm not trying to put anyone on blast or anything, but I did hear that the remaster of that game didn't go well. <laughs> Would you be potentially worried about a situation like that with, with this game that, you know, has such nostalgia tied with it you know personally and uh, broadly speaking yeah i mean that's one of my one of my like snobby um sort of uh principles is generally leave things alone i'm i'm wired that way very much so uh don't get the gang back together don't release another album you're good (laughs) don't ruin it i don't understand people start needing money this isn't necessarily a needing money thing. This is this is kind of a for the culture situation. I mean, if they leave it the same, I don't know. There, there is a little bit of that. There is a little bit of magic in the like it's 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 then you know, and then you reintroduce it, and it's like eh, it's just not special anymore. I, I feel some of that. Um, so to answer your question, I don't know. I'm glad it's not up to me. I'm glad I don't have to make the call. But I, I've enjoyed the I've enjoyed Street Two so much over the years. Um, I enjoyed getting it back out and playing it again. Um, that that's definitely in the air for me. I don't know. I'll leave each person to to decide. I know people are going to get it though if they put it back out. Like I, I'd be I'd be shocked if it was a failure. I guess just if they re- do redo it, um, don't uh, tinker too much with it. You know, like just kind of try to leave it the way it was because that's what worked. And and they obviously know that that was brittle based on their you know further attempts afterwards so you know i think it'll do really well just the game has kind of mimicked you know what's happening in the league now so i think it'd be a very relatable to a younger demographic that never even heard of nba street just in terms of you know the long threes and just kind of you know all the moves that we you know we see in the nba on a daily basis i think it would it would translate well a remake or a complete you know reimagining of the game i think it'd be really cool yeah, I think so too. Um, um, yeah, and, and a lot. A lot I was going to tack on there too. It, yeah. it, it has been influential with NBA players. It apparently was super popular with rappers and players because they said at parties they got feedback that this game was getting played uh, just constantly. Um, uh, so there's that. But also, you kind of got you got to give the flowers to uh, the N one mixtape as well because yes. you know, and that whole time was just really influential. Like Mitchell and Ness started during that time. And, you know, like you said, a lot of the ripples from that that thing are going to still going today. And it's like it's possible that the commercialization of the street game kind of hit a peak at that point. But like anything, it's just like when the man gets involved and like too much money starts changing hands. It's like it's never quite what it was. Um, But but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm on it. 
Well, I think it might might be suited to make a comeback too. And I don't know if you noticed like a lot of the ball of slide videos. I've seen all these guys like they travel from court to court to court and challenge other, you know, home ballers at that court to different games. Like, you know, it seems like, you know, it's coming back in the social media age in terms of kind of like that street ball element. So um, maybe, you know, removing that corporate element, it's been such a long time. Maybe it can't feel fresh again. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, like like you're saying, the mixtape culture is – I even think the mixtape culture kind of peaked. But, I mean, those guys are still out there doing it. Yeah. I mean, like uh, the professor, he's still yes. out there making videos about humiliating people, <laughs> and they get millions <laughs> of views. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's still we, – we have a whole section of basketball culture that is about, like, gotcha, humiliated you, crossed you, dunked <laughs> on you. I'm getting a little – I'm, like, in my mid-30s now. I'm not as, like, worried about that stuff. But for the younger <laughs> audience, yeah, absolutely. They they eat it up very clearly. Well, we appreciate you coming on to the show. Really enjoyed the chat. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media and then any of the other great videos that you're, you're working on as well that's coming, you know, this year? We'll see if anything's great. I, I don't know about that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you can find me um, – on Twitter at J Kyle man. I'm at J Kyle man. I like every platform. Uh, so you can come by and say, you hate me or whatever, uh, that my videos are on the ringers YouTube page. You can find like a playlist of all mine or a playlist of all the different people that we have creating on our channel. It's not just me. It's, it's, it's a bunch of people. Uh, so subscribe to that. And we also have a website, the ringer.com, which has a, a ton of great writing. We have some just brilliant writers uh you know i always say I'm, I'm the dumbest person that works at the ringer we have we have a lot of really smart people uh and our podcast network i would say i'd recommend yeah. too so and uh you can get all those on spotify and uh, it, it's something for everybody i would say so yeah the ringer well i appreciate you coming on to the show thanks for taking some time appreciate it my pleasure